You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Today we're going to finish our series on Gideon. And we're doing this for three weeks. And again, just in case you've missed the last few weeks or you're visiting, you're new today, let me, let me review just briefly so catch us all up and get us on the same page. Israelites have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They've entered the promised land. Joshua's their leader. While Joshua and his generation are alive, everything's going well. They're able to establish their borders. There's peace in the land and things are going well. But then it says that when Joshua and his generation died, the remaining generations did not follow God. Basically, they did not have the experiences that the others had in the wilderness. And so they heard about God. They knew the stories of God, but they never had that encounter with God themselves. And that wasn't sufficient to sustain their faith. That's why we've, our, the, the, the faith is not a cognitive thing. It's not something that we know in our head because we know the stories. Our faith is based upon a personal encounter with a living God. That's something that's incredibly important. But the Israelites, too many of them, they didn't have that. The stories were not enough to keep them from turning their backs on God. And so they began to worship foreign gods. Well, Joshua had warned them, if you do this, God's, there's going to be punishment. And sure enough, foreign armies or foreign, their neighbors would come and attack them, oppress them. And they would, things would be going really, really bad. They'd cry out to God. They'd repent. God would raise up what we refer to as a judge who would then lead them to military victory. They would, you know, knock off or, or um, shake off the oppressors. And while that judge was alive, everything was good. <clears throat> when that judge died, the cycle repeated itself. So in the book of Judges, this cycle's been going on time after time after time. And by the time we get to Gideon in chapter 6, Gideon's the fourth judge that we've identified in this book. And so... Last week, we, I'm sorry, the first week that we looked at Gideon, we, we talked about um, the fact that there's, Gideon had external circumstances that um, were affecting his perspective. The Midianites were the ones who were oppressing them. Midianites were ruthless. <clears throat> they would kill all the Israelites' livestock, all their, all their um, fields. They'd come in and take what they wanted. And so it was really a miserable existence and it was a very dangerous existence for the time. So when God said, hey, I want you to come do this, I want you to actually, I'm going to use you to, 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 to take off the oppression of the Midianites, Gideon said, yeah, what? There's no way. I mean, look at what's going on around here. And so he doubted that. But we learned in that day that God is bigger than our circumstances. God is bigger than our circumstances. Then last week, we discovered that Gideon had another problem. It wasn't just the external circumstances that were a problem for him. He also had internal issues as well. He asked for three signs from God to verify that, God, you are going to be with me, that you are going to do what you said you're going to do. Three different times, he asked for a sign from God. And the first one was the fire that came out and consumed the meal that was placed there on the rock. Then he had the whole thing with the fleece. I want the fleece, the wool fleece to be wet on the ground, but all the ground around it to be dry. And sure enough, he woke up the next morning and that's the way it was. He said, all right, one more, God, to see if you really, really, uh, I can really trust you. And he says, all right, reverse it. I want, this time I want the fleece dry and all the ground wet. And he woke up the next morning and sure enough, that's the way it was. But that week we learned, or last week we learned the, that sometimes we are our own worst enemy. God is bigger than our insecurities. And that the internal fights that we fight, God is bigger than those internal issues that we would face. 
Now, what's interesting is to this point in the story, Gideon hasn't done anything. He really hasn't. The story has really been all, at this point, it's all about getting him to a place where he would trust God. So today we're going to get to the good part. So Judges chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. It's on the screen up here if you want to follow along. Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that their own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the man down to the water, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that I lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word and thank you for uh, the account we have here of Gideon. And Lord, as we dig into this a little further, I pray that you would show us uh, just not who you were back then and just what you did at the time, but what you desire to do in our lives and through our lives even this day. Uh, So Lord, build our faith and encourage us, Lord, whatever circumstances uh, in which we find ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, Before we move on, a few things to note about the passage we we just read. There is, for me, I just find incredible irony Incredible irony in the fact that Gideon was afraid. I mean, all the tests that we had, you know, about God, the fleece and thing, was because Gideon was afraid. Isn't it ironic that, that, uh, that all of his men who were afraid could go home, but he couldn't? The very test for eliminating the unnecessary warriors, the unnecessary men, was the very thing Gideon struggled with. I just thought that was ironic and interesting that God would do that. Um, there's also some confusion. There's lack of clarity as to the kneeling down lapping of water thing. As it's written, it's not, it, it's not consistent with how we would think it. Because um, we think of lapping like a dog, you know, kind of like you do when you stick your face in the water and you lick with, with your tongue. Um, but the kneelers were not the ones who lapped. The, the lappers cupped their hands, uh, cupped the water in their hands and they brought it to their mouth. The kneelers are the ones who were sent home. The ones who laughed were the ones who actually used their hands and, and cupped it. So it's, it, for me, it, the image that I had as I read it was actually, as I read it again, it actually doesn't say that. It was actually a little different. Um, so it's just an interesting thing. So it's also that the 22,000 men who were afraid were sent home. The 9,700 kneelers were sent back to their tents. They were essentially held in reserve is what was, what was happening there. So, 
At this point now, Midian has 300 men in, in, available to him. That's a problem. Because we know from the next chapter, if you were to read on the story, we know that there's 135,000 Midianites ready to strike the Israelites. And Gideon, so he had 35,000. He just got rid of 34,700 of them. And he's got 300 left. And now he's supposed to somehow confront an army of 135,000 Midianites. So that night, what's interesting is that night, um, God comes to Gideon. We're not told how. This always frustrates me in the Bible. It says that God says to so-and-so, it's like, what did that look like? Was it a dream? Was there an audible voice? How did he know? You know, there's, there's this unknown that's really, that's often in there, and, but, but he did, the Bible doesn't tell us. We're not given this, this clarity. And, but we are told that Gideon knew that somehow, whether it was from a dream or an angel or something, he knew that God had spoken to him and God had said, God again. So, so we've already had three different miracles, three different signs. So God comes to Gideon again and says, listen, if you're still afraid, Go down to the camp with your servant and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So Gideon takes his servant. Now realize, it's not a soldier, not someone with a sword, not somebody who can help him if he gets in a scrap with some of the Midianites, his servant. I don't know what value his servant was going to be to him, but that's who he took with him. And they sneak to the edge of the Midianite camp and they get close enough where they can hear the exchange of a conversation between two of the Midianite soldiers. And one of, the, one of the Midianites says to his friend, he says, I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. So this is the dream he had. And I was like, wait, a huge loaf of bread? You know, it's like, it almost sounds like Ghostbusters, you know, thing that, you know, this, it's like, really? It's like, you know, if I'm, if I'm his friend, I'm thinking, dude, you know, stop eating spicy food before you go to bed. <laughs> but that, the other man didn't take it that way, though. He took this incredibly seriously. His response was this. He says, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. So instantly, the other Midianite understood what this dream meant. And he said, God has given the Midianites, or he said, God has given us and the whole of our camp into Gideon's hands. When Gideon had heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. That very hour. It's about 10 o'clock p.m. And the, the Bible says at the beginning of the second watch. From 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. is usually the, the watch, four-hour increments. So the beginning, so the shift of the guards essentially is what's happening. About 10 p.m., the Gideon takes his 300 men, breaks them up into three groups of 100, and he spreads them out along the line of the Midianites, along the camp. And, uh, he's, and they said, but, in, but here's the thing, instead of swords and spears and fighting utensils, they had trumpets, clay jars, and lanterns. Can you imagine being one of these 300? It's like, what? what does he want me to do with this? So on his command, on Gideon's command, they were to light the torches, break the jars, yell loudly, and blow the trumpets. That's the plan. It's like, 
you've got to be kidding me. You know, if I'm one of the 300, it's like, oh, there's got to be a better plan than this. But here's the thing. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the Midianite camp to turn on each other with their own swords. So all the confusion, all the noise created such chaos within the Midianite camp, they literally started to kill each other and the route was on. We know again from reading ahead into the story, 120,000 Midianites fell from the swords of their own soldiers. Neither Gideon nor any of his troops had to raise a sword. Nothing. They just had to make a lot of noise. Now, it's important to realize this is not a story about a great man or a great leader. Gideon multiple times had really, really big issues with faith and trust. And his thing I find really significant. He heard the promise of God on four different times, four different occasions, directly from God. God said, I will be with you. Four times he heard God say that, and that wasn't enough. What was enough, hearing it from the lips of a Midianite soldier, was what convinced him. Think about that a second. It wasn't God, a direct conversation with God that convinced me, hearing it from one of the Midianites. The story is not about Gideon. This is a story about God. It's a story about, what God's, about God's redemptive work for all of us. In life, we, have, we come to circumstances and situations that appear impossible from our limited human experience. But when God brings his power and provision, the impossible becomes possible. <clears throat> we can learn a lot about God from the story of Gideon. We can learn that God is able to take a little and make it more than enough. God is able to take... 450 to 1 odds and turn it to victory. It's funny when uh, the sermon, we're planning and working through this and, and Pastor Farrell is the one who created this original outline and he had written the 451s. We were all like, wait, what? So we all did the math and that actually is right. You should figure out the 135,000 to, to 300. It's 450 to 1 is what it came out to. God is able to work through your weakness for his glory. God is amazing, and God can do some amazing things in us and through us. Yet the question still remains, if Gideon is not an example for us to follow, how should we respond when we find ourselves with a challenge bigger than our ability to solve it? What do we do? If Gideon's not the example, how should we respond? A few thoughts. One, I think Gideon is an example for what not to do. So what we should do is we should put our confidence and trust in God's ability, not our own human ability. Why did God want to reduce the number of his men from 32,000 to 300? Yeah, I mean, God was very upfront about it. From the very beginning, he says, yeah, we can't do this. If we do this your way, you're going to want to take credit for this. I can't have that. God said, I'm going to save you, but I'm going to do it in a way so that I'll get the credit, not you. Now, let's be honest. That sounds a little egotistical, doesn't it? On God's part. I want the credit. I want, you know, and, and there has that way, but you've got to remember what's going on here. Once again, the Israelites had turned their backs on God. They rejected him and they wanted nothing to do with him. 
And God was trying to convince them, says, you, you won't find what you're looking for from other nations or other gods. You're not going to find what you're looking for even on your own. God wanted the Israelites to return to him. So it wasn't because he, he liked taking his selfies of himself and seeing what he looked like. It wasn't because he wanted, he needed all this praise. It's because he wanted the restoration of the relationship. And he realized that if Israelites thought that they were self-sustaining, they were in their own control, their own destiny, they wouldn't need God. God says, when you defeat the Midianites, it will be because I did this for you. And I think the same is true for us. Yes, you need to study. You need to work hard for good grades if you're in school. However, when you do get into college, it's because I gave you the capacity and the opportunity. And yes, you do need to work hard to achieve whatever it is you can here in life. But remember, it will be God who guides your steps. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your steps. We have an amazing ability to take credit for something we have not done. Even Gideon, even after everything he had just experienced, he still fell into this trap. Remember when I said that he told the men that when I give the sign, you're to break your lamps and you're to blow the trumpets and you're to yell? He gave him a specific thing to yell. He said, for God and for Gideon. He included himself into that yell of that, that battle yell. We knew from Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. It's good to be competent. And it's okay to even recognize that you are competent. Just remember the source behind your competence. So put your confidence and trust in God's ability, not your human ability. Another thing we, I think we can learn when we're faced with these types of obstacles is to remember that God doesn't need your ability. He needs your obedience. It comes back to trust, doesn't it? Again, the Lord said to Gideon, I really wish I knew what that looked like. Because I've, I've never heard an audible voice in my life you know, where I say, well, God spoke to me. Usually it's, it's an impression, it's, it's a thought, it's, it's an intuitive feeling sometimes that I sense. Now, over time, I've learned to trust that more and more and recognize that what separates just a random thought in my head through maybe the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But still, it'd be so much easier if it was an audible voice or it's just, you know, just black and white. Okay, God said this. You know, it's, it's, a, you know, it's our daily email. You know, you wake up and there's an email from God. All right, clear directions for the day. I've never gotten that. Um, um, but that would make life so much easier. But that's really what it comes down to, I think, for a lot of us. It's not that we want to be disobedient. Really, I don't think most of us, I don't think, we, I don't think any of us want to be disobedient to what God is saying. I think we're questioning the validity of the voice we're hearing in our minds and our heads. Is that, is that really you, God? Is that me? Is how do we understand that? And so that becomes part of the challenge. And I think we do question our own ability to pull it off. It's like, wait, you want me to do what? Really? Is that? No, that, that can't be right. And 
You know, for me, this test of obedience came really early on in our marriage. Um, there, there was a, a period of time that where I, I, I felt this really strong sense that we were to give away a specific amount of money. And um, <clears throat> the problem was that that was money that we had been saving for many, many months to buy a second car that we desperately needed. And uh, it, t- it was about two weeks where I'm talking to Betsy and she's like, yeah, that's not God. Uh, you know, and so just we're, we're, which as we talked the more about it, we prayed about it, we both became realized, well, no, this may be God. And if that is God, then we need to be obedient to it. And so I, I remember it vividly. It was a Wednesday night and we wrote out the check, put it in the envelope and on my way to work Thursday morning, put it in the mail. Not two hours later, someone had given us a car. It was the coolest car I've ever owned. Datsun B210, three-speed hatchback. It was the best. I love that car. Um, but the lesson here is not that give away something so God will give something back. Although I have to confess, and I don't think, Betsy's in the nursery, so um, she'll, you can tattle on me if you need to. Um, but I called her, I said, you're not going to believe what just happened. And I told her what happened. It, her first, her initial response was, what else can we give away? <laughs> The lesson is not to give to get, okay? That's not the lesson. The lesson is this, that when God asks you to do something, do it. Be obedient. Trust he has an outcome in mind, even if it's different than the one you're thinking. When we choose to go our own way and do our own thing, we are moving away from God and away from his power. God can't do what he wants to do because we're in the way. Samuel tells us, we're told in 1 Samuel, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. God wants obedience. When we follow God's ways, we get God's results. I'll be honest, both good and bad. Let's be honest, sometimes life doesn't turn out the way we think it should or the way we want it to. That doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. That doesn't mean that God's still not in it. It just means the chapter's still not done yet. It's still being written. But it doesn't mean that just because something's not good is that somehow God's not in it. And nor does it mean that just because something's good, that means that must be of God. And God works, God will accomplish, wants to accomplish his purposes in us and through us, regardless of what the results might be. Lastly then, when we find ourselves with a challenge bigger than our ability to solve it, the worship of God opens the way for the work of God. The part I read here a little bit earlier, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. Now, interesting again, he, he watched his meal. He, he just soaked with the broth, consumed with fire from heaven, actually from the staff of the angel. He had the fleece that was wet, the ground was dry. He had the fleece that was dry and the ground was wet. And he had heard a Midianite talk about a dream he'd had. And it was almost as if after all of this, Gideon finally came to the point where he said, all right, God, you got my attention. Okay. I get this. 
I get it. I'm in. Let's do this. Gideon finally came to a place of surrender. And when you choose to worship God, you are taking your focus off the circumstance you are facing and setting your focus on God. So here's what I know. We serve a God who has no limits. May we live in a way that opens our lives to his greatness. Now, honestly, I'm really not sure what to make of Gideon. I'm really not. I've really wrestled with this, um, with him as an individual. I wish, I wish I could say that from the story that everyone lived happily ever after. That's not the case. They didn't. Again, we've seen four instances where God performed a miracle in order to convince Gideon to act on his faith and that Gideon should have faith. Four, four instances of miraculous intervention. Now, you can say, well, yes, but God did use Midian to, to overthrow the Midianites and, 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 and the people returned to God. And yes, that is true. <clears throat> However, I, again, as I read the story, I, something bad happened to Gideon along the way. <clears throat> because as the story unfolds, again, I'd already mentioned the part about the yell. Not just for God we're doing this, it's for God and Gideon. He'd interjected himself back into it. He was wanting to take some of the credit but then he actually took this battle beyond the mandate God had given him. <clears throat> we read that as the, the battle ensues, 15,000 Midianites, flee, they flee back east. So they're crossing the Jordan River, heading east, which would be Jordan, back to the area of Midian. So they're running away. They're going back to home. Gideon pursues them. He takes off after them. <clears throat> and it's, it's a vendetta to get all 15,000, which ultimately he does. He gets all, it says that all of the Midians, Midianites were killed. But we discover later on that he's doing this, he's taking this beyond, further beyond because we discover that some of the Midianites had killed his brothers, his physical family brothers. And this was a vent, revenge vendetta that he was taking it beyond what God had said. And it got so bad that as he's pursuing them, he comes to two towns, two different towns where he says, listen, my soldiers, we've been fighting, we've been chasing, we're exhausted, we need some food, give us some food. And these two towns said, listen, I understand your need for food, but the Midianites, we're your first line of defense here. The Midianites come back, they're coming after us if we help you. This battle, you know, so, so they, 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 they took the Switzerland thing, we're going to be neutral in this. Um, and Gideon said, yeah, that's not going to work. On his way back, he took one of the towns, the men from the towns, and he tortured them. The men from the other town, he had them all killed. These were Israelites. He had his own countrymen killed and tortured because they wouldn't give him food and because they wouldn't be, be part of what he was wanting to do. So even, even after all this, the rest of the Israelites, because of the victory of the Midianites, they wanted to make him king. He said, we want, you know, you're, you're it. You want to make you king. And Gideon said, no, 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 no. He said, I'm, I'm not king. And he, to this part, he got this right. He said, the Lord will be your king. But then he has a son, and he names him Abimelech. Abimelech means my father is king. So again, he's just, he's, he, he might have said the right words, but what he was living out was very different. And so the Israelites said, we want to make you king. No, don't make you king. But here's what I want. I want each of you to give me a gold earring. Seems reasonable enough. He collected, the Bible actually gives us a specific amount, 43 pounds of gold. I don't know what, the, what, the, what that would be worth in today's market, but it's a lot. Gideon 
takes the gold, melts it down, and fashions it into an idol. And he sets it up out in his yard for everyone to come at and look at and worship. So here's, whereas Baal worship before Gideon was a localized thing. You know, different regions would have it. With Gideon, because of his popularity, because of what he had done, and because of the idol that he'd set up, the Bible tells us all Israel prostituted, them, prostituted themselves by worshiping it there. So the Baal worship was a localized occurrence here and there before Gideon. After Gideon, it was a national type of thing. Every, it becomes a prominent. So here's the thing. In the end, nothing had changed. In fact, if you look only at the nature of the Israelites' relationship with God, things had actually gotten worse after Gideon. So here's my takeaway. <clears throat> the story about Gideon is a story about God. It's not about a leader that we want to emulate. It's not about a person who did things the right way. It's about God who will use a faulty person with all kinds of, of imperfections and all kinds of, of things that just are not right and still accomplishes purposes. But my big takeaway is that if your worship of God is based solely on your circumstances, it won't last. The Israelites would worship God and follow God when things are going well. But when things didn't go so well, they would turn their back on God and they would reject him. Our worship of God should be based entirely, entirely on our love for him, regardless of the circumstances in which we find ourselves. We love God not because we want something from him. We love God not because we want out of a troubling circumstance. We love God because he is God. We love God because he first loved us and because he wants a relationship with us. That's, for me, the takeaway of the story of Gideon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, um, I, I do thank you for the story of Gideon and what it tells us about how circumstances can affect us and that just our emotions and the way we respond and our ability to trust you. And, and Lord, I think all of us, Lord, I know I can identify in many ways with Gideon, um, although I don't necessarily like that. If I'm honest, I recognize I see some of myself in him at times and where it's just really hard to trust. And I, I, I don't know, and I'm unsure, and I'm insecure. And Lord, I, I, I think that's all of us. But God, I pray that all of us, that if we hear from you, if we have this sense of this word, whether it's a dream, whether it's an impression, but something that we would attribute to you. Father, I pray that um, we would be able, we would have the will to obey. That inside, Lord God, there would be this sense of, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I don't know why this is what it is. And, but God, I'm sensing you leading this way. I want to be obedient. And Lord, that we would, we would be that kind of people. Lord, may we have that kind of faith. And Father, that if we have that kind of will, the will to obey, may we then have the courage to take the first step. Sometimes we want to have the, the end of the story in mind and we want to know how things are going to end and we're afraid to move until we know. But Lord God, so much of what you ask of us is not is to, you ask us to trust you for the end, for the final result, but in the meantime, to take a step, to take one step. So Father, I pray that all of us would have that ability to, to take a step. Even if we don't know what the end game's gonna be, but Lord, one step 
out of trust and hope and faith in you. And Father, as we take that one step, Lord, I have no doubt that you would prove faithful because that's who you are. You are faithful. Lord, you would show us that you're trustworthy, which would give us the ability and the confidence and the courage to take another step and another step. And, and it's not too long before we look back and realize where we're at and where you brought us and that you have done what you've said you're going to do. Father, if there's any here this morning that are lacking faith, Lord, may your supernatural power come over them, Lord, even now. Uh, Father, I just pray and ask that you do this in Jesus' name. You know, one of the things I, uh, I think it's important to realize is that God never condemns a Gideon for asking for these signs. Because God realized Gideon wasn't doing this because he's being rebellious, because he was scared spitless. He was afraid. God made us. He knows our human nature. He knows that we're not these mighty. Very few of us are these mighty men and women who can conquer worlds. And most of us are full of insecurities and fear. And he's okay with that. I mean, he, he wants us to move beyond that, but he's not offended by that. For us to say, God, I need to know you're with me is an okay prayer to pray. I refer to these as road markers. I mentioned this before. It's not the end. It's not the destination. But it's just, you're on this, it's just a sign that tells you, you know, I'm on the right path. I'm okay. You're, God's with me. I see that we're heading somewhere. We're going to be okay. Nothing changes, but everything changes because you know you're, you're, God is with you. So my prayer for you today is that if you're in one of these situations where you're just really afraid of what God might be asking you to do, that you'd be, have the courage to take one step. And maybe it's just, I need to gather more information. And so you do that. You collect information. Maybe it's, I need to talk to somebody. And so you talk to one person. But take a step that moves you in a direction and see what God won't do in the meantime. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that God will, in fact, meet you and prove himself worthy just like he did to Gideon, as imperfect as Gideon was. Amen? Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.